0: Now I expect I'm getting probably one of about three reactions right now after singing that song in chapel. The first would probably be, what does a song by Neil Young have to do with chapel? There might be a few of those. The second would probably be, who cares? I like Neil Young. Give me more. (laughs) And the third is probably, who's Neil Young? All of those questions actually raise the issue that I want to address this morning with you. And that is, how do we as Christians address a contemporary culture in which we live? This is an age-old problem for Christians. How are we going to be Christians in a decidedly non-Christian world and environment? Do we run off somewhere and form a cult? Do we shun society entirely? Do we kind of do whatever we want with society and then kind of give our allegiance to God with a little portion of our life? Do we form a separate subculture? Even the biblical answer of in the world but not of the world, which we say very easily and quickly, which I believe has the seeds of the problem and the solving of the problem. We say, but we don't really know what it means all the time to be in the world and not of the world. Most Christians I know are living in a world as Christians with a lot of ambiguity about what we should do with the culture we live in. We're rather culturally ambiguous. Um, And... There's three ways of going at this that I'd like to illustrate by some folks that I've observed. The first was a flight attendant I met once on an, on an airplane. I was sitting on the aisle and I was reading this book called The Christian Mind by Harry Blameyers, And some of you may be reading this book even in some of your classes. Excellent book. And write uh, down the lines of some of the things I'm sharing with you this morning. Well. Obviously, I've got this big title, "The Christian Mind." I'm on the aisle seat. Uh, this lady comes by, and she's a flight attendant, and and she's a believer, and recognizes that I must be uh, based on the book I was reading, and starts talking, and not only talking, she just starts dumping out her her life uh, um, in front of me. I, and I, I, this happens a few times to me on the road, especially, and I'm not sure whether what that is, you know, whether I just kind of look available, or or maybe I look like a psychologist, or. Perhaps uh, perhaps it's all the, the available face that I have that makes me seem vulnerable or something. But here she goes telling me what she's struggling with as a Christian. I don't even know this person. And she tells me some deep, intimate problem she's having. And it's all around this issue of how does she deal with the world she lives in and her faith at the same time. She's a, she lets me know she's a relatively new Christian. She'd been a Christian about two months. And... Actually, to hear her talk about God w- was w- brought out almost a sense of spiritual envy in me. She was so in love with God uh, in ways in which I, I, I can't even say I am all the time. She adored time with God. She, as a matter of fact, had a hard time putting a closing on her devotional hour. Her devotional hour had become two hours. She just consumed whatever she could read spiritually. And her her, her spiritual life was enlarging to such an extent that she also had a tremendous struggle with what to do with the rest of her life, like when she had to go to work. Because going to work for her was a tremendously secular activity. God didn't have a place there. God was in this other place where she met him in the intimacy of her relationship with him but when she went to work there was something about leaving god behind and something about the casual shallow conversations with other flight attendants of you know and their affairs and and who they slept with last night and what's the future going to be how how many you know the the house payments and the car they're into and a lot of things that may made no real interest to her because of her spiritual life, and she was so frustrated over this that she actually had gotten to the point that uh, she was considering giving up her job, and I I thought, boy, if this is the case, um, if this is the way it's supposed to be, there's going to be a lot of well-meaning Christians out of work in an attempt to be more spiritual. In the process, I tried to share with her some thoughts some ideas that perhaps she could find God on an airplane, too. Perhaps she could find a relationship with God in the midst of secular activities. She really didn't hear me, though, and the reason I know she didn't hear me was that she, uh, after we talked and the plane took off, she proceeded to sit in the aisle next to me, and while the rest of the flight attendants did the service, she had her devotion hour with God Anyway, I thought, marvelous testimony of spirituality right there. And while other flight attendants are grumbling about having to do twice the work while she has her moment with God at work. The second illustration came from uh, an experience I had also on the road. I checked into a hotel, and I spent a lot of time on hotels, in hotels, and I checked into this hotel, and, and uh, the, the the TV was was uh, was basically on when I came into HBO. I punched the button and on comes HBO. It was late at night. And I realized I was right in the middle of some kind of documentary. It was a documentary on, well, I knew it was on beautiful women, so I watched that for a while because uh, it was rather interesting to see. We were going into the lives of these ladies and you know, what their home life was like, how they got into this profession, which I really didn't figure out yet. I just am waiting to hear what this is. And finally, you know, after being in their homes and meeting their parents and everything, and uh, we find out these, how cozy these, these ladies are, we discover that I'm watching the Sports Illustrated swimsuit video. You know, that's, that's the video of the Swimsuit edition that that they put out in February, sometime when football's over and baseball hasn't started, and and uh, they got to do something to sell magazines. It's probably their best-selling issue <laughs> because they have the full spread, you know, of of models in swimsuits. Okay, in that issue, and uh, of course millions of male minds want to know the latest in swimwear. So uh, you can imagine why it's such an alive topic. I'm watching this thing and I'm struggling a little bit because, you know, I'm on the road and my wife's 1500 miles away and this is rather entertaining and, uh, it's entertaining parts of my flesh that I'm not sure I need to be entertained at, uh, at the time, you know. I'm having a little spiritual struggle with this. I'm trying to turn it off and I don't. And I'm thinking suddenly, I'm shocked in the midst of my own little struggle here with what happens. The camera comes over the shoulder of one of the models having a quiet moment on the beach before she goes on camera. Now you can imagine the pictures are pretty suggestive. So, you know, add the motions with it in order to get the pictures and you've got a pretty, pretty steamy scene, see. But before this takes place, this particular model is having a little moment not unlike the flight attendant's moment on the plane. And as the camera comes up over her shoulder and zeroes in on the book she's reading on the beach, lo and behold, her Bible is open to John 3.16. She's having her devotions before she goes on camera. Now, I don't know what you think about that or how you fit all that together in your mind. Maybe that's just no problem at all. We have devotions and then we kind of uh, get it on with millions of men in front of a camera. But I had some kind of problem, at least that there should have been some thought or struggle here between these two things. The amazing thing to me, and I don't want to judge her because actually I've read a little bit about her and I know she is a committed Christian. I think she's doing the best she knows how to try and witness for Christ. I just think it probably would bear to discuss a little bit whether this is the best possible witness going. Uh, I I know that I wasn't concentrating on John 3.16 at the moment or anything I was reading in the book uh, that the camera showed. I don't want to get involved in that or in her life, or assessing whether that was the right or wrong thing to do, although that would be a wonderful discussion for some other time. All I would like to point out is that I think we have a graphic illustration here of the way a lot of most Christians live life. Because you see, I think most Christians today in America are like the swimsuit model, probably not even like the flight attendant. Not too many have that struggle. Would that more had the flight attendant struggle. But most people that I know are kind of like the swimsuit model. We do this spiritual thing over here, and then we turn and do this other thing, the secular thing, and we never make or seemingly make any connection between the two. It's like we walk between two different worlds, and and there's no thought made. There's no attempt to draw from this one and illustrate it into that one. And so, the average Christian spends time doing Christian stuff to a certain extent. And then we kind of muddle through our secular stuff. And we don't really have to apply all this Christian stuff to our secular stuff because, well, it's secular. You know, everybody's got to make a living. Everybody's got to have slippery ethics. Everybody's got to get by. Everybody's got to get a job. This happens to be my job. I use my body to make money. It's it's marginal, but it's okay. Somebody's got to do it. I might as well do it. You know, so that's the secular world. God doesn't really relate in that area. And then I'll go over here and I'll do my God thing. And maybe if I do my God thing publicly or even, you know, do my God thing harder or with a little more time, you know, more intense God thing, that'll somehow balance out this secular thing. Do you ever find yourself thinking like that? I think a lot of us think like this without ever articulating it, without ever working on it. I think a lot of us, has come from families who once... I know this. I came from a family who, you know, we didn't drink or chew or smoke or go with girls who do, you know, that kind of stuff. No movies, no dancing. We had a kind of external thing that made us separate. And some of your parents still live in the memory of that. Some of them may have put some of these things on you, and yet most of them have fallen away. In many ways, these external ideas and mores that kept us separate from the culture around us have in large case fallen away, but nobody's put anything in its place, nor has anybody suggested how we're supposed to do this. So now we are just muddling around, doing Christian stuff, listening to Pearl Jam, and not making any connections. See? What I'd like to turn you on to is the excitement of living in the world as a Christian, that it's quite possible that God could be involved in the whole thing at once. However, before we do that, I want to suggest a third alternative that some of you may be involved in. The third alternative to the two problems I suggested with the flight attendant and the swimsuit model is... The third alternative is we have now, in the last 25 years, solved this problem between Christianity and culture by coming up with our own subculture. We now have our own Christian subculture, where we've taken virtually everything we like about the world and that enamors us and excites us, and we have made a Christian version of it so that we can enjoy it, kind of have our cake and eat it too, see? We can enjoy the world and extract all the bad stuff, see? So we can boogie to rock and roll and... And, you know, we can go to nightclubs because they're Christian nightclubs and we drink juice, you know. And we can, uh, you know, do aerobics, but we don't have to listen, you know, to Tina Turner. We can listen to Russ Taff instead while we do aerober Size or Firm Believer, you know. Uh, I think there was one album called Believer Size as well. I, I know there was one by that title. We can buy Christian books and Christian music and... And we can boogie at Christian concerts and we can, we can have our own Christian culture where we have basically everything that the world has, we just have a safe version of it. Well, this works for some people, but not for many. And even most of the people I know who kind of play in the Christian subculture a little bit, they're not entirely in that. That's not all the music they listen to. Those aren't the only concerts they go to. There's this other thing, too, that's called the commercial secular world they indulge in as well. And besides, when you start really listening, sometimes all this Christian stuff seems a little bit inauthentic because it's kind of a copy of the real thing. It it turns into kind of decaffeinated world, you know. Why are we doing this? It, It doesn't even give me a hit, you know. I'm just kind of having my own version of the world. The big question on that solution is, so what? <laughs> Who cares? The world doesn't care. They don't even know we exist. We're kind of partying and having our own little world within a world. It's kind of like the holy helicopter thing, having a party up on the roof, waiting for Christ to come, take us home, while the rest of the world is going to hell and we aren't connected. We aren't listening to the same songs. We aren't moved by what moves typical people. We're not struggling this way. What I think is the crux of the matter is this. I think that all three of these ways of going about this problem are flawed because they have basically a two-world system of thinking. A two-world system of thinking. There's, there's this bad world and there's this good one. There's this black and white reality. You can somehow create a nice, clean, white, worldly experience. It's a black and white world, two worlds, two separate realities that we move from one to the other. And I would like to suggest to you that the easiest way to solve this problem is to get a one-world view, one-world reality. We live in one world, and here's a very basic, simple announcement, it's a messy one. It's an awful one, but it isn't all bad. It's all mixed up world. It's a world with good and evil all intertwined. It's a world with right and wrong, confused. It's a postmodern world that doesn't even recognize truth, where every person is their own truth now. It's all mixed up. And a believer who knows there is truth has a tremendous job to try and find it and pull it out of this society and this world. It's not a black and white world. It's black and white and all kinds of shades of gray in between. And your job, should you choose to be a thinking Christian out in the one world, your job, your mission impossible, is to do the kind of thinking that will allow you to find God there. To ferret out the truth. To worship in the midst of your contemporary culture, to worship in the midst of television, to worship, yes, in the midst of listening to pop music, to worship at a movie, and not just call it a secular experience. Your job is a mission impossible because it requires that each one of us do the thinking that no one else can do for us. And I think that's probably why we've opted for this Christian subculture so easily because someone else did all the thinking. They put the labels on everything. It's easy now. But if you walk out into the one world that's out there, not the illusory subculture that we have, the one world, the same messy world that Jesus came into and left it. And it still looks pretty bad, just about as bad as it was when he was here. And yet his kingdom came and his kingdom's in the midst of this really awful world. Your job, should you choose to accept it, is to find it and live in it in the midst of there. Should you choose to that, you're going to have to do it yourself. You're going to have to think for yourself and come alive with your relationship with God in the midst of the culture you live in. You gotta find it, you gotta find it yourself. None of these people can give you any help. I don't know what that makes you, feel. does that feel like a burden to you or does that feel like a tremendous challenge? To me, that is what excites me. It's always excited me because I grew up as a Christian. I grew up knowing all the answers before I knew any questions. I, was the, I raised my hand, give the answer. As I got, I've, I've done this whole thing backwards and I still, I'm coming up with more questions that I know what the answers are. But my life, the rest of my life, is all the questions. But I'm very excited because there's nobody who could connect the answers to the questions but me. And when I do that, the answer and Christ himself becomes real to me. This whole thing makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, then I don't want to be a part of it. It's really silly just to go through the motions. And anyone, especially people your age, know how silly it is. To go through motions. I get excited about living in a world that I can find God in outside of the labels that people have put Him on. See, Think about it this way. You know, in the garden there was this tree. Remember Adam and Eve ate of the tree. Anybody remember what it was a tree of? It was the knowledge of what? (laughs) What was that? Good and evil. You know, the way... I've thought about this. Check this out. I don't know whether this was still kind of a popular way of thinking when you grew up, but, you know, we say the knowledge of good and evil, but we really think that tree was the knowledge of evil. That's what they ate of. Evil came in when they ate the fruit, and that was it. That was all evil, and our job now is to get evil out. But it was a knowledge of good and Evil. Satan was right. As a matter of fact, Satan was right about everything he told Eve. Everything was right. It was just what he didn't tell her that got her into trouble. That's what he lied about by what he didn't say. But he said you would be wise and your eyes would be open and you would be like God. Yes. They were wiser than they were. You and I are wiser than Adam and Eve were in the garden before they ate of the fruit. We are today. We now have the knowledge of good and evil. The problem is, the problem is, he didn't tell her that you won't have power over evil. That you won't be able to always make the right decision. That you will be confused, and that you will choose evil sometimes when you even think you're choosing, choosing good. Because you're only human, and you don't have the power, and you don't to see and to understand. You're not as wise as God, but your eyes will be open. You will see good and evil. That means the guy that walks down the street is aware of good and evil. That means people who aren't Christians have good. A, hey, how else do you explain non-Christians that are a lot better off than Christians? How, do you, how else do you explain non-Christian families that are a lot more loving than Christian families? You know, except that good is available to everybody. If good is out there in the world, if it's available to everybody, it's to you and I to find out. And we can discover. We can search it out. One of my favorite Proverbs goes like this. It's Proverbs eleven twenty seven. He who seeks good finds goodwill, but evil comes to him who searches for it. He who seeks good finds goodwill, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Is it any wonder why people are looking around for demons that they're coming up with (laughs) him? You know, it's a simple proposition. You get what you're looking for, and if you go out into the world and you're looking for good, you're going to get it. Titus 115 says this, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the unbelieving and defiled, everything is defiled. In other words, what you see is what you're looking for, how you think about life, what you're after. And it's possible, therefore, to walk in the world and worship and find good in your world. Let me just give you a Really stupid little practical example of this, it happened to me one time, but sometimes these things help us to get a picture. I was painting my wife's office, this was when we lived in New England for about seven years back in the 80s. And uh, my wife was working for the Chamber of Commerce, they didn't have enough money to paint her office, and it was this drab kind of wood panel, dark wood paneling, and so I was whitewashing the panels and trying to fix it up, but I had to do it at night, obviously, because work had to go on during the day in there. And so, it was late at night, it was getting to be midnight, and you know how I was doing the brush line right up there up to the ceiling, and, and I was noticing my brush starting to sag as I was getting really tired, and I was coming off the line, and I was about ready to quit, but this song was on that kind of pumped me up and gave me a few, uh, at least another hour of work. The song was, Let's Work. Now, I'd never heard this song before. I just had a pop station on, Let's Work. It was a really pump-up song. It was the time when aerobics were just happening, so it was kind of a, you know... Let's feel the burn, you know that kind of thing. So I'm up there, kind of listening to the lyrics of this song. I'm, I'm, I'm listening about uh, uh, finish what you start and be responsible, uh, make the grade, um, you know, do it yourself. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. That all these great, powerful, good and right and true messages. And a matter of fact, messages that men especially need because we men. We don't like to be responsible and we don't like work. I you know I'm I'm convinced that God made us this way. He made men irresponsible and told them to be responsible, and then he made women with a desire to take over and told them they're supposed to follow, just to frustrate us. So we'd have to learn how to obey him. We go against the grain when we have to obey him because I don't know, my wife works. I can't believe her. She never stops. She's right now working about 18 hours a day, and when she comes home, she's like a nuclear plant in meltdown. She just talks for another two hours while I kind of nod off to sleep. She's still going. It just kind of oozes off her body, you know, this work, 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 work. I'm like, how do you do that? Because I have to pull my, that's why I wear my hair long. i got to pull my, get down to work. I hate working. But I'm responsible. I got married. I did this. I have two kids to support. You know, this isn't the 60s anymore. Get real, Fisher. So get up, get going, work. Here comes a song, let's work. I'm starting to think, ooh, yeah. And I'm listening to all the words that are encouraging me to go back and think about Adam and how the toil and the sweat of his brow and all that stuff. And I'm thinking about how in Christ we overcome the curse and how work could be sacred too and how even what I'm doing in this office could be a sacred thing because I'm doing it for my wife and allow her a better environment. And here I am encouraging myself to be more responsible and more creative and I'm committing myself to go get up earlier in the next morning and start writing because that's what I do for a living. I write so I have to be self-initiative and so I decide to initiate more the next day. And I mean, I preached myself a three-minute sermon. I came forward and... The song finished, and the guy comes on the radio and says, how about that new song by Mick Jagger? And I'm going, Mick Jagger? I just had a spiritual experience with Mick Jagger? How is this possible? Well, I'll tell you very simply how it's possible. I don't know what Mick Jagger had in mind when he wrote that song, but I do know what I had in mind when I heard it. And it's really that simple, is the crux of the matter. What's in your mind when you go out into the world? Is Christ in your mind? And are you looking for truth? Wherever you find it, you will find it, because God is everywhere. Esquire magazine, two issues ago, had an interview with Mark Finsky. He was advertising genius for Nike shoes, Wolf Game, Puck Pizza, Aspen Tourism is a picture of him holding the sign. Your God is whatever you pay attention to. And I thought, he's right. He's got it. Your God is whatever you pay attention to. And the problem with most Christians is we want to pay attention to God. But how can you pay attention to God when the world is so demanding and so enticing? Well, you figure out how to pay attention to God and the world at the same time. It's that simple. You figure out how to pay attention to God and the world and your job and your studies and your entertainment and television and movies. You do it all at the same time because guess what? God's in the world. Big shock. He's there. He's there without labels. He's there if He's in you, His ability to see you have. You can see Him. You can worship in whatever you do. Isaac Watts put it this way. There's not a plant or flower below, but makes thy glory known. And clouds arise and tempests blow by order from thy throne. While all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care, that includes Neil Young, and everywhere that man can be, thou God art present there. It's really simply a challenge. And I offer the challenge to you. To think Christianly about your contemporary culture. To read up on others who do. And to dialogue with one another about the things you do outside of just contemporary, just Christian stuff, outside of the subculture. Dialogue with people about the movie you saw. Get together and talk about what are the implications of Pulp Fiction? What are the implications of of Pearl Jam? And REM, what are they saying in relationship to a Christian worldview? How do we think about this? It can get very, very exciting because you're going to find truth, just like I found truth out of Mick Jagger, for heaven's sakes. If you're looking for it, he who seeks good finds goodwill.